When it's time to seed grass, fertilize turf, or add a pop of color to your yard, Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered with unbeatable deals on lawn and garden essentials. Find value on everything you need in-store or online at farmandfleet.com. Harvest is wrapping up in Wisconsin and now begins the preparations for 2024. Steve Nicholson, the global sector strategist for grains and oil seeds at Rabobank, shares more about the latest economic analysis on the status of U.S. corn and soybean harvest and different factors that are impacting the global commodities outlook for 2024. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously USDA came out bigger, you know, almost a two bushel increase in yield. I think it was not, I was a little surprised it was that much, but not surprising it went up. Uh, And this is the question, the quote, you know, you've heard all fall along. It was better than we expected. And my reaction to that is, okay, what, what did you expect? And I was, I was with, some, with our bankers, and some of them, of course, still farm, and I said, so what did you expect? And it was the expectations were really low because it was so dry. So I think my only, my only thought would be when we come to January numbers on corn, do we see a little bit of setback because, you know, we're now after that field that didn't look very good. We didn't harvest it first because we knew it wasn't very good. We wanted to get the good stuff. So, you know, we could see that. But it's going to be a big crop just the reality of where we are today and it was and it wasn't necessarily because obviously not because of yield it was because we just had so many acres soybeans are yields probably pretty pretty square on um, potentially could see it come down maybe a little bit we'll see but beans are funny who knows um, and I'll admit to that uh, they're hard but I do think that the, the thing in the bean crop is I, I think we not, shouldn't really worry about the size of the crop as much now it's really the demand side how big does that demand get and potentially is that the bean S&D or the balance sheet could get a little tighter for the years out. Can you give me an overview of what you're seeing when it comes to the global market side of things for grains and oilseed? So let's start Australia because that's a little easier at this point. So, you know, they're going to have what would be called a more pedestrian crop. They're, they're going to have an average crop. And I think people have to realize everyone's, everyone's kind of like their hair on fire. Like, oh, Australia's going to have a horrible crop. It's not a horrible crop. It's just an average crop. Uh, but they had, what to keep in mind, they had three record years. But it's very dry there. Any sort of drought, soil moisture mapping buildup, it is getting worse. So that's, that's tough. Go to South America, it gets a little more interesting. You know, everyone just assumed that in 24, it's going to be a record corn bean crop and a record bean crop and on and on and on. And the reality is that may not happen. It's going to be a big, it's going to be likely a big crop, but... When you look at the soybean acres, rather than a kind of three and a half, four percent increase, maybe two percent, the farmer there's not very happy because his margins are getting squeezed. Which farmer, whatever farmer is, but you know the reals is appreciating against the dollar, not depreciating against the dollar. So that's less reals in their pocket. And then on top of that, you've got the logistics challenges Brazil always have, but now it's a little different. The farmer has invested in his logistics on the farm so he can double crop and get that crop out and get it back in fast. We've seen investment, of course, on the ports, both in the northern arc and the southern arc. So they've got more loading capacity, but the middle ground is still not. We still have rail and road issues. And this year you added another dimension is that I don't know how to have a drought and a rainforest, but that's probably my ignorance. But the northern arc is very dry, and so you don't have, and they've had to move vessels to the southern ports and so you have a pretty big backup there. And then if you add the rain they've had in the south has delayed loading. And as my colleague in Brazil said, it seems so 19th century that rain would slow down loading of a vessel, but it, ha- it has. 
And so, and I think that's part of why China has come to the U.S. I think price certainly is important, but the fact is that they could also move crop out. How are U.S. crushing facility capacities looking? What is that impact of, you know, it coming on and offline? So I think we're still in the ups, uptick. Um, you know, we do see, we do expect most of those crushing facilities announced. There's some that won't be that, you know, they haven't even started a permit process. They may not get built. But we do think that processing, that's going to happen. Also, you have to keep in mind, there's a lot of oil money behind some of this. And the oil companies want to return on their investment and they want the feedstock. So I think that's the other thing. It's, I think it's a good question because, you know, we're so, particularly in soybeans, you know, 50% goes overseas and 50% stays here. And we need to get in a point where we have to kind of rethink this and think that domestic market for soybeans now becomes extremely important and even more important. And exports may not be the driver of that. So we think that this will continue to keep soybean prices very well supported, particularly and if you've got a soybean crushing plant in your local market, you're going to get a good basis pop because you don't turn that plant off. It's not like an export market that can come and go tomorrow. That plant's going to run seven days a week, 365 days a year. But we do think as we get out into kind of 25, 26, 27, as crushing margins start to come down because of the excess of meal, you may see some rationalization. Older plants get closed because they're just not as efficient as the new plants. From the producer's point of view, what do the market opportunities and margins look like for them? You hate to say it, but I have to be, you know, let's be honest. I mean, corn's going to be certainly challenged. We think 23, 24... Probably 25 could be negative margins of corn. Break-even may be the best you can do. So it kind of begs the question to the producer, what does he do? you got to reward rallies, understand, put the bankers at them, where's your margins at, and where you can lock in a good margin. And, you know, we talked about Brazil and the challenges they have there, and certainly the market has thought about that a lot in the last week. Brazil provides opportunities if they have problems. Don't take the view, well, it's going to get better. If you can hit a single or a double, do it. Don't worry about, oh, can I hit that triple or that home run? So corn corn will be the toughest and the most challenging. I would say the beans. I think there's probably more upside of the beans because you have a tight S&D and you don't know what the weather is in Brazil going to be. And I think as we've seen the last week, you know, the market's a little concerned and, and the market's expectations are here and it may not, that's not more where we end up. And so that may provide some opportunities. The wheat market is really a challenge. I think it's both a challenge one is the Russians have exported so much wheat in the world market, and corn's come down. That's hurt wheat. But I think as we get to the back half here of the crop year in wheat, could be some opportunities because the Russians will likely slow down some of their exports. And the fact is, I think there'll be the demand for milling wheat. It just won't be the supply there that people want, and so that'll be an opportunity. Anything else, whether that's projections a little bit more for into 2024 and beyond, or more challenges that are facing world grain markets? Anything that really stands out to you that listeners should know about? Yeah, I think a couple things to be paying attention to. Certainly the weather is forefront. And, you know, even though we, let's say, had a, a good crop this year, I wouldn't say it was a great crop, but I would say that, you know, when you look at the soil moisture, is really bad. And that's not just a U.S. problem. That's a Canadian problem. It's a Mexican problem, it's a South American problem, it's an Australian problem, it's an Asian problem, it's a, it's, a, it's a European problem. So I think the weather going forward, what kind of winter we have in the Northern Hemisphere will be really important. China has to be a trading partner. Obviously, Brazil is a big, big competitor. But their, their economy will be better next year, and food security is top of mind to them. And so you look at their stocks, they're high. We also know quality issues come to be a problem. So China's still going to be, and we can't, 
we can't dismiss China completely because they're still going to be here. And let's keep market of other markets in Southeast Asia, which are growing markets, increasing incomes, and they'll be good demanders of food, and, and whether it's grains or whether it's animal protein. That was Steve Nicholson, the global sector strategist for grains and oil seeds at Rabobank. There are many moving parts in the market, but it's also important to recognize the speed of these moving parts. Nicholson encourages people to do their best to keep up with that fast-paced environment. From the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Charity Seebecker.